0: Hi there, thanks for joining us. I'm Jonathan Healy. Two very interesting guests on this week's podcast. Later on, we'll hear from a man who has a particularly unique perspective. Photographer Dennis Horgan on his passion for flying and for capturing Ireland from above. But first, we hear from a man who has charted the financial journeys of hundreds of Cork families.
1: The Red Business Podcast with CompuB, building your business with premium Apple solutions, compub.com.
0: So first on this week's Red Business, I want to talk to somebody who's been in business a long time. We'll find out just how long in a minute, but it is a career that has changed and ebbed quite a lot during that period. Ted Dwyer uh, of City Life. People mostly would know you from City Life. Ted Dwyer, how are you? Good, very good, thanks. Very good. How long
2: have you been in business now without asking uh, an awkward question uh, there's no awkward questions Jonathan. I started uh, in cork working uh, in the south mile actually with or was Marlborough Street i think maybe it was Marlborough Street with Patanina a financial advisor and then in nineteen seventy one which is what forty six uh, years ago, I decided that I was going to start my own business and uh, so I started on in an attic in number twelve south mile um, in an attic in number sorry in number it was a 19 South Mile actually, in an attic. Yeah, my cousin Frank Daly was the solicitor of the firm that became Ronan Daly German afterwards. And I went over to him to tell him I was starting my own business. And he said, well, I have an attic. I've just done up upstairs. So I went up there. And it was done up as offices. And I had two or three offices. And that's where I started from. How quickly
0: did you settle on what you were going to do? Because you ended up obviously as a, as a seasoned financial advisor. We'll talk about succession, which is what you're doing now as well. But w- was that was that always the case? Nah.
2: 1971, when I started Jonathan Cork, was, uh, there wasn't an awful lot of money around at that time. And to actually earn money was very difficult because the people that I knew were probably as poor as, as I was. I mean, I didn't have any money when I started the business. I went to the local... AIB Bank, and I borrowed three thousand to five thousand. And he happened to know my dad, and he said, "Look, I think Ted is good for that." And that's that's all I had. I had no business plan. I had a small amount of experience in business, and so when I started, I did auctioneering, and I did um, general insurance, cars and houses, and I did a lot of building society loans because back then, actually, building society loans were very difficult to come by, similar to what they are now. Uh, and then. Like The financial advice, I started doing pensions for people, investing some money, and bit by bit, um, that side of the business developed, but it was over a long period of time.
0: You probably would have made a lot of mistakes, and everybody who starts out their business did. What, What did you learn from those mistakes over the years?
2: Well, I suppose the biggest mistake that we made was that at one stage our bank overdraft was higher than it was supposed to be and we got a call from the friendly bank manager across the road.
0: Was he slightly less friendly?
2: <laughs> he was, st- In fairness, no, he wasn't too bad. But we had to have a plan at that stage and so what we decided to do was get rid of uh, all the bits and pieces we were doing, like the auctioneering and the general insurance and get rid of company cars and get rid of expenses and 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 really i didn't know if the business was going to be there after the meeting but in fairness to the bank manager uh... he said look okay we'll we'll give it a go and we did what we said we would do and do you know what it was the makings of us isn't it the case though that happens a lot that you know you have to hit a
0: difficult time before you realize the best and the potential and people in business you know obviously some businesses will succeed some will fail but there's always that point where you have to learn it, over your what, what let's say 50 years at this point it, it's been a constant evolution and constant learning I'm guessing
2: it has, it has and um, certainly that that wake up call um, was made a big difference to us because without that happening we could still have muddled along for a long time and, and we might never have made the decisions that really made us and transformed our business. Uh, and so then, like a number of years later, maybe it was twenty, twenty-five years ago, uh, the whole business of the way we were paid, commissions and all that, I, I just didn't like it because... So I went to the insurance companies and we said, look, instead of getting commission up front, what we want is we want to have a share of the money under investment on an ongoing basis. So we created what's now known as a trail sort of model. And we were the first in Ireland, I think, to do that. And so that meant that we were much more interested in retaining the business and looking after it and getting new business and and that that was good too.
0: You weathered more than one recession so you would have been around in the 70s so you definitely you would have seen a little bit of trouble in the 70s then the the 80s, the crash in the 90s the most recent of course probably the deepest recession of them all. What was it like to watch the city? People who would have come to you with their money and then all of a sudden that the money that they looking for going, Ted I need help this is this is after going wrong. How how did you deal with that?
2: Well, you know, we, we 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 were certainly used to Jonathan to having stock market crashes and stock market corrections. And 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 over the years, instead of having everybody's money invested in one place, we we basically, you know, we were getting a little bit cautious. When the stock market had been good for four or five years, we tend to reduce the exposure to equities, so people would have maybe more property, more government stocks, other investments, and so. The last crash was by far and away the most vicious one, because not only did we have a stock market crash, but we had a property crash, and we had basically an awful lot of really well-organized, successful, uh, financially totally independent people actually running into serious trouble because of the property and the borrowed property and the things that they were investing in. So by far and away, the last 10 years has been the worst I've ever seen and we still are not out of it. The banks still haven't sorted out the people whose loans haven't been repaid. So that's the very sad part of what happened in Ireland.
0: Is it hard to deal with that? Because, you know, people like to hear from you when things are doing well. They don't necessarily want to be knocking on your door when things aren't going so well. I I, I suppose everything is relative to the individuals involved, but was it a hard time?
2: Um, It was a very difficult time for people. And I mean, I had clients of mine coming in to me and all they had left in the whole world was their pension fund, that everything else was gone, and you know that was the only thing that was safe from their creditors because it was in trust for them um, until they actually drew the pension fund down. I have never seen anything like it. I would not like to experience what we went through again. Yours is a
0: family business, though, but there has been a long line in your family. In is it is it in finance predominantly, or what 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 was the what was the business going back
2: to the 19th century? Well, basically, the business was a company called Dwyer & Company uh, in Washington Street. It, it really was a very big major employer. Uh, they employed 2,000 people plus at one time during the 1960s and 70s. There was a company called the Lee Footwear, which is where Square Deal were, which is now being transformed into student accommodation. The, the main Dwyer building was in Washington Street opposite the courthouse. Where? Uh, what did they do? They did wholesale manufacturing uh, they supplied shops all over Ireland, up months, up, up all up the, the west coast of Ireland, up as far as Donegal.
0: So that that's where young people go now over weekend in Reardon's. Is it yeah, that building?
2: That's the same building there, yeah. So, uh, so
0: what's your memories of that? Because you obviously have a very different memory to a lot of the people <laughs> listening right now, who may who may have gone there for a, a pint and, if they were lucky, a shift. Uh, <laughs> wh- wh- what is your memory of that building?
2: I remember walking. I can remember the sounds of that building. I can remember walking through the the linoleum and and the, the crockery on the side of it and the noise of it as I walked through. It was a wonderful building um, and a lot of the people working in there uh, were friends of our families and and my my grandfather worked there at one time together with my father and my brother. They all worked in the Dwyer Company at the same time. So my visits in there were very special. Um, It lasted from 1820 uh, until 1980, so 160 years. But my brother who would have been the fifth generation of our family to work in the business. He basically worked and he, he ran a company called Perdix, uh, Perdix Shirts. He was uh, the shirts manufacturers, basically. And he knew that the succession plans were not in place there and there was too many family members fighting for control, cousins and uncles and everything. And he left in 1972 to start Eurostyle, which he has now passed on to his son. Alan and his son, Peter, works there with him as well. And I started my business. So as a result of what he said to me, I didn't go go there. I I had a brief stint up at at UCC trying to do engineering, which which, which didn't work out too well for either of us. (laughs) So I left there, and then I worked with with this guy, Patanine, and then I started my own business in 1971.
0: So that brings us on to where you're at now. Is it the older, wiser head on you that has said, succession is something that's very important and I have an ability here and this is this is why you've now started out in this new consultancy
2: yeah it definitely is Jonathan because like when I started in business I was 23 or 24 and a lot of the people I started doing business with were of a similar age and so we grew older together and I maybe started a pension fund fund for them and then when they came to retirement age uh, around the same age as I was coming to sort of a retirement age even though I haven't retired yet Um, They then talked about, a lot of these people that I was doing business with were were business owners, small business, family business owners, and naturally they were talking to me about what they should do when they had a son in the business or they didn't have. Should they sell the business? Should they pass on the shares? So I started to advise them, and then I went back to UCC, uh, and I did a course in family business there, which was wonderful. And I was working there doing that course and a lot of the people on the course were the younger generation and because they knew Eamon was working with me in City Life, they were coming to me and they said, what should I do? My daddy isn't giving me any shares and my mother's <laughs> yeah, <yeah. isn't> giving <laughs> me any shares. Dad, daddy, what are you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I said, well, look, the fact that you're working in the family business doesn't mean that you're necessarily entitled to have shares, but you're entitled to know if you're going to get them or not. So ask the question and if you're not getting a satisfactory answer, then go away and do something for yourself. If, however, your father or your mother decides or your family decides that, yeah, there's a future there for you, then, okay, find out what that future is. And a number of them, actually, one or two of them have left the family business. More of them have stayed there, and they now have shares. And I'm kind of talking to them as to how they're getting on And I just find that work so fascinating. Is, isn't it the
0: case a lot of the time whereby there is, and we'll talk about youth as if they're not listening, there's a sense of entitlement sometimes? Um, and that's a problem because it's, if it's mum and dad's business, it's not your business. So yes. therefore, if you want in, you have to work the same way anyone else would have to do if they're coming in.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I've done it, we've done it ourselves. I mean, Eamon, who I think you were at school with, that's right. um, uh, you know, he, he was over in Australia. And I was having some problems with my hearing at that time, and I didn't know what I'd be able to keep going. And no, thankfully, everything has, has resolved itself, and I've I have good hearing aids, and so I'm able to hear most of the the, the things most of the time. Probably
0: too much, I'd imagine, if the, if the family were listening. Yes, <laughs>
2: sometimes. But yeah, he was in Australia, and I, I I sent him a message. Would he Would he kind of come back? And he said, Look, I don't know. Maybe you know he had done commerce in UCC, and he'd done a, some kind of a degree in in sports marketing and that. So. He, he was always the one who might come in because he did work on the summer holidays here as well. So he said he'd come back and he'd try it for a while. And he came back and he tried it. And after two or three years, because it is difficult for the son or the daughter of a family business founder to come into the business because they're always saying, well, you know, are, are they, uh, do they? other people working here think that I'm here just because I'm yeah. daddy's son? Am I here on
0: another? merit or am I here because yeah. I'm yeah. such and such a son I'm or daughter? Absolutely.
2: So, I mean, after two or three years, it seemed to me that it was working out quite well we got over the teething difficulties and so I passed some of the shares to him and this was of immense importance because no it was our business it wasn't just my business and so he was working in there as a part owner and then after a while we bought back the shares of another partner who worked with me for many many years, Dermot Armani who was formerly the, 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 the financial controller down the dockyard he came to me when that closed and so he went, we bought his shares back and then I was able to give Eamon some more shares. So effectively, Eamon and myself owned the business between us most of the shares. And he's the boss now for the last five years, and that's fine. When it comes to it, though, families
0: fall out, things go wrong, that's when succession planning is really important. Because if it isn't written down when something happens then all of a sudden the hard work of everybody might go out the window. What, what do you say to people who haven't thought about this or who haven't necessarily committed it to any form of paper, ne- never mind a family constitution?
2: Yeah, it's a very good question because I think many people, if they have a number of children, the, the, the natural reaction is everybody should have the same. But if you give everybody shares in a business and let's say there's only one person working in the business, And if the people who are not working in the business want to sell their shares, that can put serious pressure on the company. I put the company first always, because if the company fails, everything is gone. So I think what you have to try and do, as far as is possible, is put the company under one ownership, so it has the best chance of moving on to the next generation. When I go, the balance of my shares will go to Eamon, so it's his business. There are other things in everybody's estate. There's the family home, or there's a pension fund, or there's some investments. The other children can be looked after fairly, too. But I think that if you want to move the business forward to the next generation and the next generation, I mean, we're now moving into the second generation. I'm hoping that Eamon will move into the third generation. Now in time to come, if he wants to sell the business or anything, it's going to be his decision, not mine. Mm. Uh, So that's where we're at at the moment.
0: It's it's a difficult one. And I suppose it's interesting that all your years of experience and as well, the fact you came from the family business as well, all plays into it. is there ever a right time to start the conversation? So, so for example, if you set up your company in your twenties, do you have to wait till you're fifty and maybe have one or two health scares before you think about it?
2: Well, it's the way it often happens because I mean, Irish men in particular aren't great to discuss things like what am I going to do with the family business and shares when I go. First of all, none of us like to feel we're getting older, uh, and secondly, when we when you started a business and you've lo- lived and loved and worked in that business for an awful long time, it's very hard to let go. I find it. I find it very hard to let go.
0: Well, you're still working and you're 71, so yes, you're clearly
2: finding it very hard to let go. I mean, there are sometimes I can see them having little caucus meetings <laughs> deciding north place saying, jeez, how are we going to get rid of your man? Like, you know?
0: <laughs> Eamon, you've been tweaked. Just stop the caucus meetings. He spotted them. I have to say, any time now I'm on Washington Street, I'm going to have a look at Reardon's in a very different light having learnt what went on there uh, before. Ted Dwyer, it's been an
2: absolute pleasure. Thank you for talking to us. Jonathan, thank you very much indeed. It's been fun.
1: The Red Business Podcast with Compube Business. Improving productivity with the latest Apple technology. CompuBee.com
0: And now we want to take to the skies. We don't very often do that here on Red Business, but there's no better reason to do it than with Dennis Horgan, who has a wonderful new book out called Cork from the Air, consisting of amazing photographs of Cork City and Cork County. Dennis Horgan, hello.
1: Hi Jonathan, how are you?
0: I'm very well. This is an amazing achievement. How long has it taken you to take all of these photographs?
1: All in all, about two years.
0: That's a labour of love, isn't it?
1: Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I used to reserve some of my time when I was up flying and go off looking around and saying, let's photograph these. Some I thought about beforehand, others just were happen happenchance, you know. I, I stumble upon some pictures, you know.
0: And you, you've done it, well, at least you've arranged the photographs in a geographical fashion. So where do you in, start?
1: Yeah, I mean, Cox has got the biggest coastline in the country, as you know. So I didn't want it to do it as a kind of a town-by-town, place-by-place geographically, but I wanted to keep it geographic. So the first shots were in Valley Cotton, of the Valley Cotton Lighthouse, and the lovely village, the fishing village of Valley Cotton. Then we worked our way through Middleton on into the harbour via photo in these places, and then into the city. And there's a couple
0: of standout photographs, very difficult to pick them out, but there's one in there of Parky Cleave, which you took... On the day, was it the day of the championship final? Yeah, the
1: day of the quarter final between Clare and Tipperary, yeah. So that Saturday. was the first
0: proper outing, wasn't it? Well, it was
1: the first championship match in Parky Cueve. I've watched Parky uh rise from the ashes, so to speak. And uh, watched it every month. I used to look at it, take progress photographs, sometimes for Sisk's who built it. And then on the day that it was going to have the first championship match, I wanted to be up there to get the shot. And w- when you take these photographs, you're...
0: In an aircraft, I think it mix helicopter and plane. Yeah, both. So how how do you do it? I mean, when most of us when get on, when we get on board an aircraft, we are in a sealed tin can that has a little porthole that you can look out of, but it's no good for taking photographs. Let me put it that way.
1: No, the glasses if you take and anyway, you only see the land for a few, maybe a few minutes if you're flying airliners out sort of Cork. Um, these are light airplanes, Cessnas, and you can either take the door off. But the window will open. There's a big window there, like an ice cream van window, you know, the way it opens up, canopy style. And the canopy, or the window itself will tuck nicely under the wing. Uh, the slipstream keeps it in place. Now, it's very windy up there. I, I was just going to say,
0: it. It, it, that, for those who would be of a nervous disposition, wouldn't <laughs> uh, be a comfortable no. <laughs> way to fly with the door off.
1: Uh, no, not really. But I mean, when it's done, I I fly with Atlantic Flight Training in Cork Airport and they, they obviously are... Um, uh, they obviously comply with Irish, the Irish Aviation Authority rules and they're licensed to do that I prefer to do it that way because you don't have glass to worry about and you get very good at camera angles you you're, know you're, you're free you're, to move but you're strapped oh, in yeah, though, though aren't you I'm strapped in you know with a harness or, or uh, a yeah
0: you're not afraid of heights Dennis I'm guessing
1: no well I'll put it this way to you. I wouldn't stand at the top of the Elysian on the edge and look down I think I would have a problem there once I'm not connected with the land, I'm grand, you know. Yeah. yeah. And
0: I have to say, looking at the pictures, it looks like Cork is the sunniest place in the world. Uh, was it, were you lucky in the days that you chose to go Well, up?
1: you know, you're looking in the book at about 190 pictures, but yet I took 2,000. So I picked the brightest ones um, that I could do. Um, some of them <clears throat> didn't work at all, but others did. I mean, that picture of and Rock, um, that's, you know, six, seven miles out. Small plane, big ocean. You, you want to know what you're doing in, in terms of planning it weather and stuff. And uh, it took me three goes to get it. Weather-wise once with a technical problem we took back. But we got it on the third run, and it was great, you know. And w- you, you've tried
0: to introduce people no, no. It's it's when you're taking photographs like this, it's it's very easy just to, to kind of take lovely landscape photographs, John Hines yeah. style. Yeah. But you've gone out of your way to include people. Like there's photographs of people waving at you. There's photographs of of people on. What's the name of the thing with the propeller on the back and the?
1: Oh, the paramotor. Yeah,
0: paramotor. That, yeah, that looks that, terrifying. That's,
1: that's a man called Mel Bendon of Glenmar shellfish done in in Glendore. He's a paramotor pilot. And, I mean, you know, he conforms to the rules like the rest of us and uh, he flies with a pilot's licence. I want it to be different than your average landscape book. So, like the pedestrians in Patrick Street, I have I've a very good, stable, powerful, image-stabilising lens that I can take pictures with of people. I mean, uh, you can see the players in Parkley Ceeve during the match. Um, you can see the fishermen off Cape Clare. And you can see the men working on the top of the tall ship, the Belem, when she was in Cork. And they're doing repairs to the rigging, you know. In in an age where we're have
0: we we're used to digital photography, I mean, mm. if you didn't have a digital camera, would you be able to take that level of detail?
1: No, definitely not. If you look at the old ones, that were taken in the 50s and 60s. They're all black and whites. It's a tribute to the photographers who end up, because some of them are are quite... quite um, Sharp and good. No, but you wouldn't in most cases because the vibration is your big enemy, you know, when you're taking
0: pictures Yeah, and that, that, that bleeds through and the images become it does, blurred. Yeah, it's like a
1: hostile environment up there. You have very little space to move around. You don't have a desk and a door, you know. What's the inspiration? Why did you do this? What did I do with the book? Or what did I do? Why did you, why did you decide that we need to document the city um, and well, the I county like this? I did a like book this? on Cork in 2014. And, uh, you know, my, my equipment was kind of limited at the time. And uh, I've gained a lot of uh, new, new kits since then. I don't know. I, I just think, you know, if you think of Cork, you can only have one thought at a time about it, you know. Cork's amazing. I mean, it's got a massive coastline. The West is beautiful. The city is amazing. You've got St Finbar's. You've got City Hall, which is the most one of the nicest public buildings in Ireland. You've got loads of places and... Like Fitzgerald's Park's a wonderful amenity. You know, you've got the Elysian, which is an amazing complex. And I wanted to put them all together so you could see everything, say by flipping through them every couple of seconds, you know. We
0: were having a conversation at home just a couple of weeks ago and somebody produced uh, an old VHS video of them driving, I think it was out of Kent Station, and through town just capturing that moment I think it was in the 1980s of how the city looked Yeah, it, this is a, a photographic equivalent of same that you, you you want people to look back at this in 20 years time and go oh I remember that
1: I do and I'd also like to see people to see like both visitors and natives so like how modern a uh, country we have you know and um, one of the things that particularly strikes me—it's not in that in that book—it was in my last book—is um, Charles Fort and Kinsale. That was built, I think, in 1600s or 1400s. Anyway, it's a good couple of hundred years old. The symmetry of the building, of how precise they were in those days, without any electronic calibration or anything like that, without any, um, you know, theodolites. It's incredible to mm. look at it. It's amazing, you know. In
0: terms of making money on something like this, Dennis, is, is there much of a return for a book? I mean, it's a fabulous book. Mm. I think it's what, it retails, I think, at 25 euros. Mm. Is there much of a financial return for doing something like this? I, or or do you do it for the love? Mind. Yeah. No, well, I
1: do. I do it because I like it. Um, in fact, I love doing it. But yeah, I'm commercially minded too. And uh, it's got to watch its face. So, yeah, there is a return of good. And and do you find
0: people will approach you and say, I've got a, a, look, my house is here. It's up on the top of this hill. We'd love a photograph of it. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, my main business outside of doing books is I do corporate work and I do private work, like for people like architects, Estate agents and auctioneers give me an enormous amount of business. It's a great way of, of showing your property if if your property's big enough, you know. Wouldn't use it for my own three-bedroom semi now, <laughs> but I would certainly use it for a big house because, you know, you see where the house is in relation to its environment. You take a picture on the ground and you show the house, but then again, there could be a gorgeous bay, a beautiful bay like here, Guys to Haven, for instance like I know this house I took and right around the side of it is this gorgeous bay and we're able to encapsulate that in one picture. (coughs) And it's great. It shows exactly where it is, you know. Now that you've done this, Mm -hmm. what's next? What's left to do? I've been asked to do, um, I've been commissioned by a certain large Irish company to do a book on Ireland.
0: So you're going to be spreading your wings.
1: We've started, yeah. Um, But I want to show Ireland not just from you know, beautiful sunsets and gorgeous beaches. I want to show Ireland uh, as a modern, progressive place. I want to show the transport infrastructure, shots of trains going across bridges and, you know, stuff like that, just to show how modern it is and some aircraft in flight. I plan to do a shot, haven't discussed it with the IAA yet, but I want to do a shot of, say, um, an Aer Lingus jet coming into land over the waters and, um, say, off the old hedge and be up there above them in a helicopter at a safe height obviously I'd look down and as it comes underneath me that'd be an amazing picture things like that always underneath.
0: you're it. always thinking I yeah. can just see the wheels mm. turning now but all the shots that you haven't taken yet mm. but yet will uh, it's Cork from the air it's a collection of aerial photographs of Cork City and County you can buy it as I said 25 euros it is well worth the price you can buy it in Waterstones or indeed Liam Rochelle in Cork City Dennis Horgan we wish you continued success hanging out of your helicopters thank you very much for joining us on Red Bill.
1: Thank you, Jonathan.
0: Pleasure to be here. My thanks to Dennis Horgan and to Ted Dwyer. Neo Hennessy helped put all of this together. Next week we look at the business of Christmas, a very legitimate conversation now that we're in December. We'll catch you then.
1: The Red Business Podcast with CompuBee, Apple Technology and Solutions for Your Business. CompuB.com.